Acts chapter 8, and we're going to finish Acts chapter 8 today. Next week we get to meet Paul, but we're not done with Philip yet. Before we get into it, though, I want to read from John chapter 16. Don't turn there. Just listen to this, because this is a promise that Jesus made to the church. At that point, it was just the 11 disciples. Judas had left. This is in the upper room. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I still have many things to say to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is in the upper room. This is when Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's told his disciples, I'm about to go away. They're panicking. They're distraught. They're full of grief. And he explains to them, the spirit is going to come and he's going to be with you all the time. And that's actually better. It's to your advantage, he says in another chapter that I go away. And he even says, I have many things to say to you. So the idea that some will throw out there that I only care about what Jesus said in the Bible because that, that's, I serve Jesus, not the apostles. Well, Jesus told them, I'm not done. I've got more things that you need to know, and I'm going to tell you after I'm gone by the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's saying, you can think of nothing more tragic than me going away, but I'm going to send you the same spirit that was upon me. Remember, Jesus at his baptism, the spirit came upon him, and immediately the spirit led him into the wilderness. And then he was led by the spirit to do all the things that his father commanded. And in John 20, 21, Jesus said, as the father has sent me, I am now sending you. He breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. He's saying the way God has been using me is how he's going to use all of you from now on. And in the book of Acts, we see that. This is the Acts of the Apostles is the technical name, but really you could say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, or the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to emphasize today that the Acts that are being done here in this book, the power of the Holy Spirit, the leading and the speaking of God's Spirit is not limited to the early church, and it is not limited to the Apostles. We're going to talk a lot about that today, about being led by the Spirit and hearing the voice of the Spirit. And I realize as I say that, that a lot of you have perhaps encountered people that love to use being led of the Spirit and having a word from the Lord like a club to beat you over the head. The classic one, I was a youth pastor for a long time, is a young woman comes to me crying and she says, God told him that he had to break up with me. I used to then take those guys and say, if you've got to break up with her, just break up. Don't, don't bring God into it, right? You've heard that before, or somebody that's trying to manipulate you, and they'll say, listen, I've just been thinking. This is what I think God has to say. Okay, that's wrong, okay? But we don't want to see that's wrong and then run in the other direction and say, therefore, God never has anything to say to his people. That's not good either, and that's not what the Bible teaches. And it's ironic because sometimes folks will say, I don't need to hear a word from the Lord. I've got the Bible. Oh, that's good. All right, great. But the Bible tells you that God is still speaking. And people will use that in the wrong way, but I'm not interested in that. I'll share one more story before we get to the text. When I was in Bible college, I was invited to a Bible study that the seminary students were putting on. I thought that was really cool. So I went and they had booked this room down at a coffee shop and it was it was definitely a college student's Bible study led by college students in that it just sort of meandered around until it was time to go. But I, I had a talk with some of the guys after it was over and I just mentioned a couple times just in conversation, not even trying to make a point and I said, yeah, well, I felt like the Lord was leading in this way or, you know, God has really been directing me. And one of the guys stops me and he goes, hold on, you said that a couple times. You think God talks to you? And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, 100% sincere. How do you know when he's talking to you? And I was, I was the new guy. I had just come into the seminary. Some of these guys have been studying for four or five years. And they're sitting around this table and they all are looking at me so intently like, how do you know the voice of the Lord? 
And I gave them a very bare bones version of what I'm going to teach this morning because I went home from that and I thought, I better figure out how to answer that question real well. And this passage lends itself to understanding this because it's such a great example. And I think that there are people like that and maybe like you who have read your Bible and you've seen that God speaks to his people and that just seems like the greatest thing in the world, but you have no idea how to listen. Okay, let's learn how to do that today. Let's learn how to listen to the Lord and tell when he's speaking to us. Because we see in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, Philip is going to hear the Lord and he's going to do what the Lord says. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now the last time we saw Philip in chapter well, earlier in chapter 8, he was spearheading a revival in Samaria. The apostles came up, they laid hands on the people, the Spirit came upon them. He was working to bring the Jews and the Samaritans together. Can you imagine a more awesome, exciting mission than that? And he was at the forefront, he was preaching in all the villages, the power of the Lord is at work, people were being healed, miracles are being done, demons are being cast out. The Lord shows up to him in the middle of the night and says, Go to the desert. <laughs> the Spirit tells him to leave the revival that he was leading? That's crazy. Now, if we were to only operate in the realm of sound business strategy when it comes to the church, we would say Philip was wrong. I don't know who was talking to you, but it sure wasn't God because that's going to that's gonna slow down the train, Philip. Don't you see what God is doing here? When things are growing, you that's the time to double down and keep going and reinvest, so to speak, and keep it up. And the Spirit tells him to leave. Not only to leave, to go to the desert. Go to the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I'll give you further instructions when you get there. Philip is being supernaturally directed by the Lord. This is very similar to what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 was the first time that Jesus really preached and began to do his work. So he is preaching in the synagogue. While he's preaching, somebody sitting in that back corner stands up and starts shrieking at the top of their lungs, demon-possessed, what are you doing here, Jesus of Nazareth? What are you, you come to torment us, haven't you? And he's standing about where I'm standing and he says, be silent and come out of him. And the demon shrieks with a loud voice, comes out of the man and the guy sits up and he's in his right mind. Now it's the Sabbath day. There's rules to follow. So he goes home. No one bothers him yet. He heals Peter's mother-in-law while he's there. As soon as the Sabbath is over, people are at the door. Hey, this is my cousin. He's got a demon too. Hey, this is my mom. She's very sick. And people are crowding at the door and it says Jesus healed them all night long. In Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 43, here's what it says. When it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. It's another example. Jesus, this town is in the palm of your hand. They'll, they'll do anything you tell them to do. They'll make you king if you want. And some people even tried to do that with Jesus. But what does he do? He does not take for granted what his next assignment is. Well, this is obviously what God wants me to do is stay here. He goes to the desolate place. He prays, comes back. There's crowds of people hanging on his every word. And he says, I've got to go. I wonder if Jesus was praying something like, Lord, I know you want me going from town to town, but it's already happening. The revival has already started. This is a great place to stay. And the Lord told him, no, I want you to go. This is what Galatians 5.25 calls being or keeping in step with the Spirit. Knowing that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, executing God's plan, Paul tells the Galatians, keep in step with the Spirit. You're playing follow the leader. You're not running ahead. The Lord is telling you what to do. And because we have been sent by the Lord, Matthew 28, right? John 20, you've been sent just as Jesus was sent. Because you've been full of the same Spirit, you biblically should expect supernatural communication about what you are to do. And I've heard godly men, who I don't want to bring down, but they'll say things like, if anybody comes up to you and says, I've got a word from the Lord, ask them if they're an apostle. Because the apostles were the ones that had words from the Lord, and they wrote it down. And when it was done being written down, God said, I'm not saying anything else. 
That sounds really great. And there are a lot of people that take refuge in that for a couple reasons. If you've been in a church or a denomination where people are, are nuts on this stuff and there are people that are taking advantage of other people, taking the, the name of the Spirit in vain, so to speak, in order to manipulate and control and do all kinds of nonsense that is not biblical, you can take refuge in that. But it's saying, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. Forget it. Or you can have doubts and you're skeptical about supernatural things and it just is weird and strange to you. It's easier to come over here and you can't control that, but you can control understanding what the word says. Who knows? But it's not unbiblical. You can call it whatever you want. The Bible is full of stories of God speaking to people and telling people to do things and giving us an example throughout the book of Acts and throughout church history too and even in your own life, I'm sure, of how God speaks you want to know what the Bible says? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. That's another one of those two sides of a coin verses. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. There are some folks, they despise prophecies. You say God is speaking to me, they look down on you, they might even rebuke you, they might try to correct you, they might kick you out of the church. There are other folks... They, they eat prophecies for breakfast. It's all they want. It's all they want to talk about. They don't even like opening up the word because that's old-fashioned. What's happening now? And those people need to learn, test everything. Don't just take everything and say, this is it. Test everything. In the Old Testament, which was much more severe, if a false prophet preached, do you know what happened to that false prophet? He got stoned. Okay? They were testing the prophets back then. In the New Testament, there's a little more grace. I think part of that is because there's more of them. Right? The Bible said that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and dreams and visions and all that. And John and Paul and everybody else says, test it. Hold fast to what's good. My mom used to say, chew the wheat and spit out the chaff. Keep what's good and toss out the rest of it. And in this very church, in this short year and a half, by the way, it's been 18 months since we planted this church. Isn't that great? That seems like a long time and also like a really short time. I can't tell which it is, but it's been 18 months. Since we've been here, we have seen dreams and visions and healings and other revelations from the Lord. And I'm not talking about, ooh, we had a cool thing. I'm talking about dreams or visions or healings that were like a sluice gate in somebody's life. They were going this way and now they're going this way towards Jesus. You're all nodding because you know it's true. It's been some of you where I was living like this and then somebody spoke something that was not a verse from the Bible, but it was from the Lord and it changed my life and now I'm living differently. I can look back in my life. There have been moments where people have come up and said something to me and that was the Lord speaking through them. And I knew it. And it was, it's born fruit. That's what Jesus said, right? You'll know them by their fruit. If you've got words from the Lord flying out every day and nothing ever changes and nobody ever receives it and nothing ever looks better when you're done, everybody just gets confused or frustrated or rolls their eyes at you. What is that? It's not bearing fruit, but we've seen that. And this is the deal. We serve a speaking, listening God. You read through the Old Testament. He's talking about your idols. They have ears, but they don't hear you. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. I'm the living God. I have ears and I can hear. I can speak. I can see. I can act. He says, is the Lord's arm too short to save? A little humor there, right? God's in heaven. He's like, oh, I'd love to help, but I can't reach you that far. The Lord is acts on behalf of his people, and especially in the New Testament era in which we are still living, we should expect the Lord's direction. Philip was listening, and we're going to see how God used him. We are not to spend our days trying to figure out on our own what God's will is, or just to be smart and be so clever that I can do everything. I don't even need God. If the Spirit wasn't here, it'd all run more or less the same. That's dangerous. Don't do that. We're supposed to be hearing from the Lord, nor are we to be hysterical and unteachable, where we're so far on the other end that everything, you know, every little cloud that like stretches out this way, God is telling me to go that way. It could be, but probably not. But we need to do what Philip did. Philip, who was not an apostle, he was not one of the 12, he was not one of the 11 in the upper room. As Peter said back in uh, Acts chapter 6, he was waiting tables. But he was faithful, and the Lord spoke to him. So here's what we're going to do. I've got seven things here. Seven things that we're going to run through. These are seven ways, more or less in order, to know what the will of the Lord is. To know when God is speaking to you. Seven things. I feel like I'm making a listicle. Number four will surprise you. 
Seven ways to know what the Lord is trying to say to you and to evaluate whether or not you're hearing from the Lord. And I hope we all can get on board with all of these. I don't think any of them are too crazy. But let's hit number one. Number one, you've got to know the Bible. It all starts there. The Lord has given us 66 books that you're holding in your lap right now, from Genesis to Malachi to Revelation. The Lord is not going to go outside the bounds of his word. There are lots of folks that have come to me and said things like, well, the Lord told me that I'm allowed to leave my husband and go marry this other man. No, he did not. Well, you don't know how God speaks to me. Yes, I do, because I know what God has already said. And if somebody comes and contradicts what the Lord has already said, you're not hearing from the Lord, whoever you're hearing from. Paul said that, right? If anybody comes and preaches any other gospel, even if it's an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. Know your Bible, because it's a whole long story of how God interacts with people. And if the interaction you seem to be having with God doesn't line up with who he is, let me give you a real clear example. If every time you feel like you're praying and talking to the Lord and you're receiving from God, you end up just feeling so terrible about yourself and you feel like you're never going to live up and the weight of your sin is crushing down on you, that's not the Lord. Every time I, I talk to God, I'm just so afraid and it just it terrifies me to come to church. Whenever people encountered the Lord in the Bible, what was the first thing God said? Do not be afraid. Okay, so that's how we, we test those things. We know what the doctrine is. We know what the ethical instruction is. We know how God works. You've got to know your Bible first. God has already spoken. That's clear. And this is why it's good to start with the objective thing, so to speak, right? It's words on a page. You know what it says. You got to start there. Know your Bible. When is the last time you read the book of Nahum? <laughs> or whatever. Pick, pick your book. When is the last time you've read that and you know what the word says? You've got to know it. It's got to be in and out of your, your mouth and your mind and your heart. Number two, persist in prayer. You like that alliteration? Two piece. Persist in prayer. You're knowing your Bible and you're persisting in prayer. Prayer is interaction with God. It's you speaking to God and it's God speaking to you too. And part of what we're doing today is to learn to recognize when God is speaking to you. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Through personal prayer, on your own. You seek the Lord on your own time and pray. And corporate prayer. Because when we pray on our own, we, we can sometimes get into habits that aren't great. And we come in together with the rest of the church and we're corrected by being around other people. Or we think prayer is so boring, but then you come in and you hear that one guy pray. And you're like, oh man, if I could pray like that, I'd pray all the time, right? Corporate prayer, coming together, learning the presence of God, learning what it's like when God is there. And, and I, I, part of me doesn't like using the term, but I'm going to use it. Learning what it feels like when God is there. When you're in a meeting and, and God has spoken through somebody and now somebody is broken down crying because what that person said was exactly what they needed and now we're praying for them and now this thing is getting changed and now they're different after that, you, you need to learn that. You need to learn what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord. And there are those that will say, well, if you pray about it, that's, that's showing a lack of faith. What? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Even in the book of Acts, we're going to see this later, when the, the elders of the church of Antioch were praying and together, it says, the Holy Spirit said to them, separate Paul and Barnabas to the work I'm going to call them to. And is the next thing, and so Paul and Barnabas went? No, it says, after much prayer and fasting, they sent them out. I think there, there can be some proportion there, right? Depending on how big the thing is you're hearing from the Lord, there should be an appropriate amount of prayer and fasting. Is God ever going to get upset with you for checking and making sure? There, I think there can reach a point like Gideon, where God's like, Gideon, that's enough. You know what I've told you to do. I've done the fleece thing twice. Now get up and just trust me, right? But especially early on, when you're trying to learn the voice of the Lord, and you're not sure, bring it to the Lord in prayer. And yeah, persistent prayer. I could talk about prayer all day. We should keep going, though. Number three, evaluate your impressions and ideas. Here's what I'll say. The most common way, at least for me and what seems to be people around me, especially at first, that you feel God speaking to you is just through an impression on your heart, as it's called. It's, just, it's like a thought that you can't shake. You know, it's an idea that keeps coming back. You're not trying to do anything to hang on to it, but it just keeps coming up. If you're in a prayer meeting with us and I say, is there anybody that feels like they've got something that they'd like to share to encourage or exhort the rest of us? And you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I don't really want to say anything tonight, but you've got something just like 
thumping in your chest that you can't get out of your mind, that might be the Lord speaking to you. Or it's an idea that you had that just, it's getting you more excited than it ought to. Or maybe it's an idea that should not be freaking you out, but it intimidates you. Why would it intimidate me to go talk to Billy? I talk to Billy every day. Maybe God wants me to go talk to him about the Lord today. Now, what's the first word there? We evaluate these things. You have to evaluate them, right? Test all things. You can do two things. You can run away from the impressions that the Lord puts on your heart and say, I don't want anything to do with that. Okay, well, the New Testament, the book of Acts, they're going to say things like, it seemed good to the Spirit and to us. That's biblical. So don't run away from it, but also don't run away with it. Where now you're spiritually impulsive. Anytime a thought comes into your mind, you act on it, because I want to be full of faith to the Lord. Well, no, the Bible also tells us to be self-controlled and to be patient, but we don't do either one. We evaluate them in meditative prayer and the light of God's word. Sometimes you're, you're in the moment and you're excited. Say, okay, let's wait until the moment has subsided. Is it still there? Am I still thinking this? Evaluating your impressions, evaluating your ideas, especially does that line up with God's word? Does that line up with God's character? You know, if you're thinking something like, I think the Lord might want me to share the gospel with that person. Is that ever against the will of the Lord? Are you going to like violate God's will by going out and sharing the gospel with somebody? I didn't want to save them and now they've prayed. What have you done? No, that's not how it works. But we do evaluate those things. Number four, test dreams, visions, and more. In this story, Philip saw an angel. In other stories, we've seen that people have had dreams or they've had visions or other revelations. Uh, Paul will talk about that in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, we believe in these things, but we are also to test all of them by the word and by prayer. Sometimes, y'all, dreams are just dreams. There are those that will say, you should always keep a, a dream journal because the Lord is always speaking to you through your dreams. I've had some wacky dreams. There is nothing spiritual about it. Nothing sinful. It's just weird. It's like, okay, I was walking around and there was bananas everywhere. And then I turned into a monkey. And then I was playing video games. Like, okay, what is God trying to tell me? He's not trying to tell me anything. I just had something to eat weird the night before, okay? But sometimes they're a capital D dream. And usually I can tell when that's from the Lord. And I've, I've known people that have this way more. I've had maybe once or twice where I've had a dream with a capital D where God was speaking to me. One of them was when it was time for me to come down here, by the way. I'll tell you about that story some other time. I knew I was wanting to go. I was knew, knew I was wanting to go soon. And I woke up in the middle of the night ever having this really strange dream. Couldn't shake it after a few days. Finally, I wrote it all out and started saying, all right, Lord, what is this about? And I knew what it was as soon as I started praying. Sometimes people have visions. What is a vision? There's two kinds. There's one that people have called an open vision, which is something I've never had. That's similar to like what Ezekiel had, where he was, I was on the banks of the river, and then all of a sudden I looked up, and there was the glory of the Lord. It's almost like you've changed the channel, and you're looking at something different. More often for me, when I have what I would call a vision, is that there's a mental picture that I can't alter. That might sound weird. Like if you have a mental picture of your dog in your mind, you can change his fur to be pink, right? Now he has five legs. Now he's walking on two. Now he's dancing in a grass skirt, okay? You can do that. When I'm having a vision from the Lord, I can't tweak it. It's weird to explain. That's all I can say is that there's an image in my mind. That would be what the Bible calls a vision. I've never seen an angel. I hope so, that someday I'll be able to see that. My grandma will tell me her angel story all the time. It's great. And she saw angels when she had scarlet fever when she was a kid. Took her decades to come to the Lord, but she finally did, and now she loves that story. So, But what do we do? We test these things, because there can be phonies. Even if you've had a legit dream that seems real, it might not be from the Lord. You want to test it and evaluate it. And what I like to do, when I, when I have an image in my mind, when I have a vision, whatever you want to call it, I always want to put it out there, if I'm going to share it with somebody like this, I have a picture in my mind of blank, blank, blank. I don't know what it means, but there it is. And you put it out there, and maybe it's something, maybe it's not. It's called testing all things. I'm going to go ahead and tell this story because it's kind of weird, but I think it's important for what we're talking about today. We were having a staff meeting back in Lynchburg, and we were praying about some things, and I had one of those mental pictures that I was talking about. And I'm going to tell you what it was because... It's so weird this could only have been from the Lord. I had this picture of this like enormous dog-sized slug. We were sitting in a circle and it was moving around from person to person and it was like 
spewing or vomiting into each person's face. It was gross and weird and creepy. I thought, what in the world is that? I'm not sharing that thing. That's, that's weird. That's crazy. I'm going to get fired. Not doing that. But it wouldn't go away. I mean, like over a half hour of a prayer meeting. So finally, it was, you know, if there's ever a room to share something like that safely, that was it. So I go, listen, guys, this is really strange. But I'm going to just put this out there. I have no idea what it means. And I said it. And the guys kind of chuckled a little bit because it was funny and weird. But our administrative pastor goes, Tyler, I've been having that same picture down to the detail since we walked in this room. And I was too embarrassed and too afraid to say it. I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah. And he like corroborated a couple of the details. And then so then we go, okay, let's pray about that. Weird and strange, but it was, it was two different people having the exact same thing because it was from the Lord. It was from the Lord speaking to us, but we tested it. We didn't just say, therefore, this is what it means, because I didn't know what it meant. So I wasn't about to preach it. I was just going to put it out there, and then somebody else put it out there, and we prayed, and eventually we felt like the Lord gave us discernment on what that meant. But it's testing these things, evaluating these things. And number five, moving on, we've got to trust wise Christians. Talk to people. Talk to somebody you know that loves Jesus, that is wise in the ways of the Lord, that knows their Bible, that has encountered the Lord before, and ask them for advice. And if you ever like, feel, oh, I can't share that. If I share that with somebody, then the Lord tells me that I've committed the unforgivable sin. Okay, then you really need to talk to somebody. <laughs> That's not how God works. And a lot of times the Lord will have somebody lined up to tell you yes or no. This is what the church is for is to get advice from each other. You say something like, look, I feel like the Lord might be telling me it's time to quit my job and pursue this or that. What do you think about that? You ask a wise brother or sister in the church, and they may have something from God to tell you, or they may just have wisdom to be able to share with you. Again, the Bible is God's word, and if somebody who knows it better than you can help you with that process, don't isolate yourself. Trust the Spirit, and trust that the Spirit is working through other people besides you. Isn't that important? Number six, you got to take steps of faith. If you have evaluated your ideas, the revelations from the Lord, you've evaluated them according to the Bible, you've persisted in prayer, you've fasted, you've talked to godly men and women in the church and had them pray for you, and you still think that this might be what God is telling you to do, you've got to step out in faith. It's time to take a step. What is faith? Faith is a strong maybe. (laughs) We read the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Let's go over to the camp of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will give all of them into our hands because God is not limited from saving by many or by few. That's all you got, Jonathan, is maybe. Let's go try and fight the whole army by ourselves. Maybe God will give us the victory. And that's what he did. And the Lord showed up. And the Lord gave them a great victory that day. If you never get out of the boat, you're never going to walk on water. Amen? Peter had to get out. And most of the time, these things are not like earth-shattering, ground-shaking things. Usually they're just stuff you know you're supposed to be doing anyway, and you just don't want to. I don't want to talk to them about Jesus. They might not want to talk to me anymore. I don't want to try and start a Bible study at work. What if I get fired? I don't want to stop watching that show. I like that show. Whatever it is, you've got to take steps of faith. The Lord honors faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, the Word says. And like I said, if we're talking about stuff that is within God's will and within God's character and not blocked by the word in any way, is God going to get mad at you? How dare you ask to come out on the water, Peter? This is me. Only I can do that. He said, hey, come join me, Peter. I love your faith. And number seven, learn from the past. Over time, as you do this, you will probably have hits and misses. I have had times where I thought for sure the Lord is leading in a certain direction. There wasn't anything biblically against it. I stepped out and God wasn't in it. So you know what I learned? Okay, let's look back at that scenario, back at that situation. Something in that was probably me. And I don't want to say that necessarily it's demonic influence. Most of the time, it's just me. It's my ideas. It's my thoughts. It's what I want to do anyway. But I know that it's probably not a good idea. So I try and see if I can find a way to tie the Bible to it so that I'm allowed to do it. That's not good. Sometimes it's just your own passion. But you've got to learn to keep stepping out. And you can evaluate yourself. You go, you know what? Last time I felt this way, that wasn't the Lord. That was my own passion. So let's just chill on that one. Or maybe you say, last time I felt this way, I stepped out 
and God was there. And the Lord was working and there was a great victory that was won. So maybe it's time to go. Learn from the past and start over <laughs> to know your Bible, persist in prayer, evaluate your impressions and ideas, test your dreams and visions and more. Number five, trust wise Christians, take steps of faith and learn from the past. Do you see the, uh, the slowness of this here? Until you have learned over time, you'll, you'll have learned enough that you know when God's speaking and you can move a little quicker. But you've, you learn to walk before you learn to run. But you've got to trust the Lord. Don't, don't say, well, God doesn't do this kind of stuff anymore. I promise you, he still is. We see it in Philip. And if you want to have a story like what we're going to go through now and see the Lord work through your life in a special supernatural way, you've got to trust the Lord and trust that he's speaking to you but do it the right way. So let's see what happened here. And we'll go through the story pretty quickly. I wanted to get through that because that is so key for all of us to know. But Philip is preaching in the revival. The angel of the Lord comes up and tells him, go to the desert. Didn't tell him why. Didn't tell him who he was going to talk to or what he was going to do. That's probably all Philip was praying about for the next however long it took him to get down there. The Lord said, I didn't say. I just said, go to the desert. You go down to the desert. So he did. Verse 27, and he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So he leaves. He heads down to Gaza. Gaza was the last oasis before you hit the desert going towards Egypt and the other African countries from Israel. And he encounters a caravan here. And here is an Ethiopian. Now that word Ethiopian, there is a modern day country called Ethiopia. That is not the same country that is talking about here because you guys know place names can change over time. This is what the Old Testament referred to as Cush, and it was probably closer to modern day Sudan than Ethiopia. It's really not that important, but it might be an interesting detail for you to know. So Sudan, this is a, an official of the queen. So Candace was a title. It wasn't like a first name. We use it as a first name now, but back then Candace was sort of like Pharaoh. It was a title that was used for the queen mother. That was how uh, rulership worked down there. If you've uh, read the story of the queen of Sheba, she would have been from a similar place. So think similar cultures here. And he was in charge of the treasury. So this is a, an important person, very important person. And he was a eunuch. Eunuch, of course, these men would have been emasculated for a number of reasons. Normally the eunuchs would have been in charge of the king's harem. You can understand, although as horrible as that is, why they would have put eunuchs in charge of the queen's wives. And they also did that to the money and to other things as well. It was a measure of control. It was also a way of making sure that the guy who oversees the money and knows the ins and outs of how the kingdom works is never gonna try and make a play for the throne because he can have no progeny, he can have no dynasty of his own. It was a barbaric thing, but this is the way that it was back then. And he's on his way home from Jerusalem. Now, according to Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, he would not have been permitted to go into the sanctuary in the temple because he was a eunuch. So he would have gone all the way from Ethiopia, gone up to the temple, and not been able to go in. So he's on his way back with the enormous scroll of Isaiah. This would have cost a lot of money. These scrolls were huge. Okay? But he was in charge of... The, uh, the queen's treasury, so he probably had a little cash to throw around. I should also mention, too, he would not have been able to convert to Judaism as a eunuch. You were not allowed to do that. So he could have come and worshipped the Lord. He could have come and been in the outer courts of the temple. He could have maybe met with some very important people, I'm sure, but he wasn't allowed to go in, and he wasn't allowed to become a true member of the house of Israel. So imagine how this guy feels coming back. He's got a scroll, and that's it. How, how brokenhearted would he have been? He'd been searching for truth. He goes up to a place where maybe there was a tradition that went back to the times of Sheba, where he knew that there was a God there that was glorious and could, could help those who were looking for him. But he goes and he's turned away at the door. Well, God heard him. And Philip sees him. And the Spirit speaks to him directly. This is really important, by the way, on a side note, talking about why we believe the Holy Spirit is personal. He's not just something floating there. He has lines. Do you see that? 
verse 29, and the Spirit said, comma, quotation marks. The Spirit speaks. He's not an it, he is a he. And the Spirit spoke to him in the moment. You see that chariot over there? There's no reason to assume this would have been the only one, by the way. There probably would have been many people on the caravan road. He said, that one. I want you to go to that one right there. We've talked about learning the voice of the Lord. You've got to know the Lord's voice so well that when you're in the moment, you're ready to go. And as I said, if the Lord is burning in your heart for something that is obviously God's will, or at the very least is not opposed to God's will, why worry about it? A lot of times we do that. Wouldn't it be great if someone shared the gospel with them? Lord, do you want me to share it? Don't do that. You already know. God's already told you. Go, preach the gospel to every creature, the word says. And a lot of times, if you encounter a situation like this, and you start thinking to yourself, wouldn't it be great if God had sent like an evangelist here today? It would have been perfect just to bring it all home. And God's like, yes, smack you upside the head. It's you. You've got to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. Because you know what the Bible says? This guy was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. It doesn't look like he'd gotten there yet, but Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5, this is an amazing prophecy that's about to be fulfilled. It said, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So the Lord had promised that he was going to reach out to those who are outside. He says, if you're an outsider from Israel and you've come and you've become part of the nation, you're worshiping the Lord, but you always feel like you're on the outside. He's like, don't feel that way. Because even if you're a eunuch and you can't come into the temple, he says, if you still serve me, I'm not going to ignore you. And the Lord had manifested that that was his will. And he had already told the church, go preach the gospel. And Philip shows up and the Lord directly speaks to him and says, go do this. And Philip had that Jonathan spirit, that why not spirit? Why not go speak to the Samaritans? Maybe God will do a big revival. And this was the kind of guy that God could use to go and speak to an Ethiopian eunuch. Because by this point, remember, we've not gone outside the house of Israel yet. It has been Hebrews and Hellenists and Samaritans. Now we've got this guy who is, would become a Jew if he could, but can't. So this is technically out of bounds in a way. But the Lord had not set out that boundary. That was only in the minds of the church. And the Lord was telling Philip to go. The Lord will guide you too if you learn to listen. So don't think of a chariot as like Ben-Hur, where it's four horses galloping down the road. Think of more like you know, a slow procession with a cart and the, the curtains and the pillows. And you've seen that in, in movies before. And he says, hey, go and overtake that chariot. <laughs> so Philip, verse 30, ran. When God tells you to do something, run, by the way, don't delay. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. That's one of those verses that I feel like if Philip could hear that story, he'd be like, yeah, you sort of skipped over a few things there. This is not some nobody on the road. This is the head of the treasury of Ethiopia. This guy would have had guards. This guy would have had security. He would have had people around him to make sure nobody could get to him. And here comes this guy running. Uh, we've got a runner. <laughs> we've got somebody coming up. All right, formation. And maybe they've got those big, intimidating, huge, you know, curved swords like from Aladdin. And they're like, what do you want? I want to go talk to him. You're not talking to him. And he can hear that the, the attendant is reading Isaiah out loud. I just got to talk to him. My God told me, no, get out of here. When the Lord tells you to do something, there will be opposition. You got to be able to push past that. And I like to think that maybe Philip like, was shouting over the heads of the guards, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Hold on a second. Who is this guy? What'd you say? Uh, I heard you reading from Isaiah. Can you understand what you're reading? No, I, gotta ha I don't have anybody to show me. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Jew. My name is Philip. I'm from Jerusalem, and I'm also, I'm also I'm a Christian, so I've been instructed by, by the apostles. And just come up, come up in here. Are you sure, sir? Yeah, yeah, bring him in. He's fine. Maybe they searched him real quick. You know, we don't know. But he had some courage here. It's good. You've got to have courage when the Lord's speaking to you. He initiates conversation. And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? I could preach just that verse right there. Romans chapter 10 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but... 
How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in someone of whom they've never heard? And how will they hear without somebody preaching? And how will they preach unless they've been sent? Hey, guess what? You have been sent. So go preach. There are people that will never understand unless you guide them. There are people in your life that only you have the opportunity to talk to. You've got to make sure that you are stepping out and speaking out. And the good news is that you have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ had to guide and empower you. Do you see how God sovereignly orchestrated this situation? You got to consider this. Philip had to come down from Samaria, which means he had to get there at the same time that the eunuch did coming from Jerusalem, which means that God told Philip to leave Samaria before this guy had even left Jerusalem. He was still in the temple. He was still meeting with the Sanhedrin, maybe. He was an important man. Maybe he would have met with him. Maybe he would have met with Pilate. Maybe he would have been asking around. Maybe he would have said, look, can I at least buy a Bible? Sure, you can buy the, the scroll of Isaiah. Is that the biggest one? Then just give me the big one, right? Because he's, he's trying to get something. Before all of that, while all that's going on, God has a man on his way down. If Philip had hesitated or stopped or not gone when God said to go, he would have missed it. So I'm going to tell you something. This is just another piece of wisdom here. When the Lord tells you to do something and it's urgent, you've got to go. Because if you wait and you keep waiting, keep waiting. Well, God hasn't said that anymore. I guess that wasn't from the Lord. It might have been. You might have missed the window. That's horrifying to me to think about. That God had a story like this set up for me and I might have missed it because I wasn't listening. But the Lord set it all up. And the last step of that being all set up was, Philip, Run run, go overtake the chariot. Lord, he's got guards. Go anyway. The Lord didn't even tell him what to do past that. He just said, go and overtake the chariot. All day long, 365 days a year, God is orchestrating encounters like this. If you can be awake enough to pay attention and see them. I've been in moments like that where it, it was just perfectly lined up. I've been in Costa Rica sharing the gospel on the street and there's an American woman there. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just visiting. What are you guys doing here? We're telling people about Jesus. Can I tell you about the Lord? Did she have to leave America and come to Costa Rica to hear the gospel? Apparently so. The Lord brought it together. I've had moments in my life where the Lord has been setting stuff up for me, where the timing was just perfect. There's no coincidences when we're talking about Jesus. When we pray, you can forget the word coincidence because God is at work. And this is what you got to see. that We're not the only ones involved in the game here. The Holy Spirit is at work drawing people. He's got angels going out and doing His work and fighting the battle on the spiritual level. And it all comes together when we come in the material and the physical to speak. And if we miss that, the whole thing falls to pieces. This is why the Lord has filled you with His Spirit so that He can have you in tune with what the plan is. Because God's got a plan. So knowing that, how valuable is it for each of us to spend time every day getting our marching orders, so to speak? Wake up in the morning, before you head out and get started on everything else, just sit quietly before the Lord, read your Bible, pray, do your devotions, and then just sit with a notepad open and say, Lord, what, what do you have for me today? And maybe for whatever reason, you're, you're that morning, somebody that you work with is just on your mind and you can't, you can't get them out of your mind. And you know what they're dealing with, but today, for some reason, it's just breaking your heart. Just write their name down. Because what, what does that hurt? You've written their name down. You haven't, you haven't done anything wrong. You're, you're sitting and you're thinking and there's just some Bible verse that comes to your mind or you read something that morning and it just like shot out from the page. Just write that verse down. Because who knows? How many times have you read a verse in the morning and then you get an opportunity later in the day to share it with somebody? It happens to me all the time. It makes me go, I better never forget to read my Bible because I don't want to miss that. And then you've got that the rest of the day. And as you go throughout the day, maybe you got it on your phone. That's what I usually do. Just pray over those things. And when you see whatever her name was, show up and say, hey, how are you doing today? Well, uh, I've been better. Don't then go, okay, have a nice day. <laughs> you say, what's, what's the matter? Tell me, what's wrong? Well, I don't really want to talk about it. Hey, look, I was praying for you this morning. I, I, I care about you. Can, what, what can I do? And then next thing you know, they've dumped their whole life in your lap. Don't then come up with the best advice that you could come up with from your, your internet blog reading. You say, you know what? Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross. Ah, and you've told me this a million times. You're like, I know. But 
it seems to me like you're always looking for somebody to love you. Don't you know that God already loves you? You're always looking for something new and flashy to make you feel good about yourself. Don't you know that Jesus has already given you that? And, you, and I don't have to worry about that stuff because I have the peace of the Lord. What, are you better than me? No, I'm offering this to you right now. All of that because the Lord just put somebody on your mind. Worst case scenario, you share the gospel with somebody. And as you do that more and more, as you become more and more usable by the Lord, you will be used more often. Get your marching orders from the Lord and then step out in faith. And when you wake up in the middle of the night, by the way, don't immediately go back to sleep. Say, Lord, it's in the middle of the night. I'm awake. Do you have something you want to say to me? Because you might wake up in the middle of the night. You ever had this? And somebody or some situation is just burning in your brain. Pray for them. You don't know what's going on. I've had people send me emails or phone calls, even from back home, down here, and they'll, they'll say, hey, I was praying for you last night. And I'm like, hey, do you know what I was dealing with yesterday? And the Lord set you up to pray for me. That's how the church works. Be listening. It's God's team, along with the angels, right? First step in this was, go send an angel to talk to Philip. Maybe it was because it was such a time-sensitive thing that he's like, we got to make sure that nobody doubts this. Send an angel this time. We're out plundering the wicked one's kingdom. We're out setting captives free, which is what Jesus did. And we have his Holy Spirit to do it. Verse 31, so he's going to explain this passage to him. I mean, verse 32, excuse me. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. Again, you got to open your mouth if you want to speak the word to somebody. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So he's reading here from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And if you go to the Old Testament in your Bible and read that, it might read slightly differently. And this is a little note. We'll talk about this more when we get into Paul's letters, I would imagine. But it's probable that he was reading from what is called the Septuagint, which was the official authorized Greek translation of the Old Testament. And you all know as well as I do, you try to translate something from one language to another. Sometimes it's not going to be exactly word for word, even though it's going to mean essentially the same thing. And so if you ever see a quotation in the New Testament that doesn't exactly line up with the Old Testament, that's probably what's going on. And a lot of times, the apostles paraphrase verses too. Are they allowed to do that? Apparently. But why does this matter to us, by the way? You're reading out of a translation right now. The apostles read out of, out of a translation a lot. You have translations in the Bible that have then been translated into English. Is the Lord able to make his word work through a, another language? Yeah, he is. Are we always working to make sure that we got the translation just right? Yeah, we are. But the Lord is sovereign enough to take good care of his word, isn't he? Anyway, let's keep going. So he's reading this passage in Isaiah 53. And if you do not know Jesus, this passage can be very confusing. And back then the Jews had three options. They still do, essentially, although they go out of their way to ignore this passage. Look it up. It's really troubling. But they see the options as number one, it's talking about the Messiah. Number two, it's about Isaiah himself. Or number three, is talking about the nation of Israel. But once you know Jesus, you read it, there's nothing else it could possibly be referring to. You see how the Lord has seen the end from the beginning and has revealed it to his people? The Old Testament magnifies the person of Jesus Christ. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, he opens not his mouth. Remember when Peter tried to hack some dude's head off in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did Jesus say? Peter, don't you think I could call down legions of angels to help if I wanted to? And he picked up the dude's ear and stuck it back on his head. Remember what Jesus said? No one takes my life from me. I love that because it sounds like he's getting prepped for a boxing match or something, right? It was like, no one takes my life from me. I lay my life down. I can pick it back up again if I want to. But he endured the shame. He did not open his mouth to protest. And it says, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Was there ever a more clear case of an innocent man being put to death than Jesus Christ himself? He allowed that to happen to take the penalty of sin upon himself for men like this and men and women like you. And it's significant, too, that this man is reading in verse 33 about the generation of Jesus being taken away. You know, today we don't worry about this so much, at least publicly we don't. But back then, not having children was, that was a failure of your life. 
was to not pass on anything. And this was the biggest heartbreak for a eunuch, was to not be able to have children. And he's reading this passage, and maybe this is why he was keying in on it so much, because it's talking about somebody else whose generation was taken away. Because he had no hope of the same thing. And Philip, it says, told him the good news, verse 35. That's evangelizomai in Greek. It's where we get evangelize from. He evangelized this man. He told him the good news. Jesus endured injustice as a sacrifice for us. For you and me, the cross would have been justice. We would have been getting what we deserve by hanging on that cross. And it's really hard when you think about somebody else, right? Well, everybody always uses this example. I don't know why. What about Mother Teresa? Did she deserve to hang on a cross? Yes, she did. But forget that. Think about yourself. What do you deserve? You know what you deserve. We hardly have trouble thinking worse about ourselves, do we? It's much more common to have trouble thinking better about yourself. You know what you're like. You know what you've done. You know what's in your heart. You know the things that are churning up inside of you that you would never let come out, but it's in you. You ever get really angry and your imagination just runs wild and then like a few minutes later you catch yourself and go, whoa, that's in there. Where did that come from? That, does, that doesn't in one sense make you who you are, right? You are who, what you do in addition to who you are. But like really, that's in you. That's sin within you. It deserves to die. Jesus had no sin and he took the penalty for us. That's God's love and God's mercy. And in that same passage, if he kept reading a few verses in Isaiah 53, 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, then he shall see his offspring. Isn't that cool? He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. His generation was taken away, but once he's made that sacrifice, he will see his offspring. That's you and that's me. Jesus had no children. Whatever the History Channel wants to try and tell you, with their conspiracy theory channel. You are the Lord's descendants. You are the sons and daughters of God. You are the ones that have come about and been born again because of him. Had this man ever heard mercy and love his entire life? This is worth more to the Lord than all the multitudes in Samaria. Consider that. This guy. This guy. And the thing is, too, we love to look at it like, well, Jesus came to the poor people. This guy wasn't poor. This guy had more money than you could ever dream of having. And the Lord took Philip away from all those people to go to this guy. Because that's not how God thinks about people. God doesn't think about people through that lens. He thinks about, this is a man that came all this way to try and find me. Was turned away at the temple. I wonder if he had had any encounter with the church at all. Probably not, because the persecution was hot and heavy at this point. But he turned back, and all he's got is this scroll. And he's reading Isaiah 53, and he's like, get Philip down there. Get Philip. Well, Philip is, is currently leading the revival. He goes, yeah, there are other people that can handle that. I need this one done. Isn't that awesome? The Lord cares about the one lost sheep. He'll leave the 99 and go after the one. He left the 99 and he went after you, didn't he? Praise the Lord for that. that. The Lord took the shame and the guilt of sin upon himself so that he could come to people like this, whose entire life was full of shame and guilt, and offer him mercy and love and hope. And that's what we see in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? If you're reading an older translation, you have verse 37. The newer ones do not. I'll explain why in a second. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Well, this eunuch is believed, and they see water. This is probably them arriving at Gaza, which, remember, was the last oasis before you hit the desert. They said, hey, there's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? Why would he phrase it that way? Because he was prevented from going into the temple before. He was prevented from becoming a Jew before. Is there anything that prevents me from being baptized? No way. The Lord has opened that up. Now, as I said, the older translations include verse 37. It has the profession of faith where he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This would be a textual critical issue. You guys know we have thousands and thousands of Greek manuscripts and all of these copies of the Word of God. None of the older manuscripts have that verse. The oldest ones we have that have that verse in it are from the Middle Ages. So, 
it's most likely that that was not included in the original. And you want to be so careful about that. I, I think that if you wanted to fight about it, it's not really worth fighting about it. But I think what you see is 99.99% of cases where somebody says maybe that word or that verse shouldn't be there. Does it change anything by not having it there? No, it doesn't. He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and he was baptized. And then probably what happened at some point, there was a scribe reading through this and added that in. Maybe as a note, a lot, we actually have copies of this where people have copied the text down and then put in little footnotes at the bottom. And the next guy that copies it adds the footnote into the text. So this is not something to be worried about. It should make us happy because it means that we're getting closer and closer to what the original text says. Either way, it is a valuable verse. Probably not scripture. It's not included in the newer translations, but either way, he did believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether or not the text says it explicitly. Well, he had come up to Israel to seek God, and he didn't find God until he was in Gaza. And he came up out of the water. Little note there. They did baptize people by putting them under the water back then. And this man, who had never had any reason to rejoice in his entire life, he had all the money he could ever hope for, and he still went on a many, many mile pilgrimage to go and see if he could find God in a little city under Roman occupation. But now it says he goes on his way rejoicing, full of joy. I bet you he got home and Queen Candace said, what happened to you? You're smiling. Yes, I am smiling. Why are you smiling? Because I've met God. I believe in Jesus Christ. Let me read this passage to you. Let me tell you this story. We don't have any solid history about what happened to this guy Tradition tells us that he went back and became a missionary, and I don't see why that is unlikely, but we don't have what we would call reliable history, but I doubt he kept it to himself. Philip, for his part, he says, was carried away. That word in Greek is harpazo. It's the same word that Paul uses when he's describing the rapture in 1 Thessalonians, when he says, we will be caught up. And he wound up in Azotus, which is former Ashdod, which is one of the Philistine cities. So Philip dunks this dude under the water, Brings him up out of the water, and the guy wipes his eyes, and Philip is gone. That's pretty cool. Where'd he go? You saw him, right? Where'd he go? I'm like, uh, yeah, I saw him. I don't know what happened to him. He was, I blinked, and he was gone. Meanwhile, Philip pulls the guy up out of the water, and then I don't know if he had the sensation of flying, or if he just was translated in the moment, and now, where am I? Hey, what city is this? It's Azotus. What's wrong with you? Azotus. I was in Gaza like five seconds ago. And he goes up to Caesarea. That is, he's going up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. He would have preached at places like Joppa and Lydda, which is, we're going to see in a few chapters, that Peter is coming behind and preaching in these cities. And he's going to end up in Caesarea. And in chapter 21, verse 8, we're going to see him there again. And he's going to be married by that time. It's going to be about 20 years later. He's going to have four daughters, it says in the text, that prophesied. Philip had an encounter with the Spirit of God. He walked by the Spirit and he taught it to his children. And he had four daughters that were prophetesses. And Paul, I would imagine, would have had a lot of interaction with Philip when he was imprisoned in Caesarea for two years. But for now, he's, he's preaching the gospel all the way up. Philip was faithful in the small things. He had no title. He had no authority in the church, no credentials. But when it came time to find somebody to oversee the widow's distribution, he was on the list because he was full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit. And he was faithful in handing out food to the widows every day. Right? Like I said, DoorDash for the church. This is not some highfalutin thing. But he was full of the Holy Spirit. And because he was faithful in that, God used him to spark a revival in Samaria, leading the, the Jews and the Samaritans back together for the first time ever under one banner, the banner of Jesus Christ. And then the Lord is sending angels to him and sending him down to share the gospel with Ethiopians and, and in a sense, reaching beyond the boundaries that the church had already set up. And then he's teleporting him through the air to other cities and he's setting the groundwork for the apostles to come behind. And now he's having children and these children are prophesying to the church and he's there to minister to Paul. This guy was faithful in the little things and so God gave him more to do. Remember Jesus said that? Whoever is faithful in a few things, more will be given. We've got to be faithful in the little things. The apostles are going to start chasing his congregations. Paul would have known this guy. But you know what's so great about Philip? His life is not an exception or to be unique in the church. He's just a Christian. He's no apostle. He's just a Christian. 
He took the Spirit at his word and he had faith enough to respond to the Lord. I hope it never is said of any of us that we were too timid or too skeptical to hear God's voice. And so work went undone and souls languished in prison because we did not step up. I don't want to get to heaven and to see the Lord open up the vault and say, you see all that? That's all the reward I wanted to give you if you had been faithful, if you had prayed, if you had listened to me. Remember that time you thought that was some crazy idea and you shut it down because you had somewhere to be? That was me. I was trying to get you to do something for me. No one else was listening. I thought maybe you would listen and you didn't. Because you didn't, I had to do that. Oh, can you imagine Oh, going to heaven and seeing the Lord say, you see him? And he's somebody who's just has been used mightily of the Lord in your generation. Say, yeah, that guy was so great. That was wonderful. The Lord said, that should have been your crown. I wanted to use you, but you didn't listen. You were too busy. You were too distracted. You weren't ready to listen. Remember what Mordecai said to Esther in the book of Esther? He says, if you don't do this, the Lord will provide salvation for Israel through somebody else. Right? God, God's not going to let his plans go undone. But he's got stuff he wants to do through you. And I would never want somebody else to steal my crown. The Bible talks about that. As somebody else coming in and, and stealing your crown, so to speak, and doing what God has called you to do. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. God's looking for people he can use. He's looking to and fro. Is there anybody else? You. I'm going to use you. Well, I don't know if God wants to use me or not. God uses the vessels that are clean and ready. You know, if you've ever been involved in a ministry before, or if you've ever, even at work, or if you've been on a team, there can be people that are more skilled and more talented than everybody else, but you can't use them. You ever play baseball with a guy like that? He, when he gets up there, if he hit the ball, he was going to crush it over the fence, but he struck out more than anybody else because he never practiced. He was too lazy, so coach couldn't rely on him. You ever been in ministry with somebody? They can preach better than anybody else, but they can't show up on time, and they're rude to people, and they're so full of themselves, like, forget it, I can't use you. You use the people that are available and that are there. That's who the Lord is looking for, people who will say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Use me. Learn the voice of the Lord. Don't shoot in the dark and try to figure it out on your own. Because the life that God has planned for you is far more glorious than anything you can think of if you can be listening.